If you have a Bible, please turn in it to Titus chapter 2. Um, if you don't, the scripture is printed in the bulletin uh, on the inside back cover. Uh, there's also a place to take notes there. We're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And so, friends, listen. This is God's word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. This is God's word. So we are looking now at spiritual life made simple. The effort to simplify our spiritual lives um, because we know that life gets complicated. And we know that our spiritual life can get complicated. And so this letter to Titus, this book of Titus in the Bible, it resets our priorities. Okay, and we've been looking at this already for a couple of weeks. And so um, Titus tells us to start with God in chapter 1, the first four verses. Right? You start with God. God is on the throne, and God gives you his grace and his peace in life. Remembering that helps recenter and reset our priorities. And then second, Titus says that elders are important. Elders in the rest of chapter 1, these are spiritual leaders whose lives and teaching show how to bring God into the complications of life. Okay, and so these are where it starts and what's next? Right, what else do we need besides God, besides elders? Well, the answer is that you need community. You need community. Life gets complicated when we have too many options, right? Too many responsibilities, too many pressures. Um, I got an email uh, this week, and here's what it said. It said, at this very moment, I am completely overwhelmed with work and a presentation that I'm giving tomorrow night and not quite sure how it will all get done. Anybody else feel that way? <laughs> when we feel overwhelmed, we lose focus. And sometimes we can even know God is there, but it doesn't help, right? Sometimes even just trying to reset on God doesn't help. What we need is community. What we need is community. We need relationships and people in our lives. And this is what Titus 2 is all about. This is a community of people, older and younger, who are committed to God and to each other. 
Okay, now, before we actually look at the details of this text, um, I want to share with you a real-life story from two people that are in our own church family. Um, Ann and Candace, would you all come up? These two women, uh, one older, one younger, I won't tell you which is which, um, they, they are experiencing what Titus is talking about in chapter 2. And so I asked them to share some of their experience so that you can see what we're going to look at more in detail, but you can see it in flesh and blood. Hi. Um, You're going to need to put your bubble right up. Okay. There you go, get close. Hi. Um, I have always been blessed with um, older godly women in my life since I was uh, since I became a Christian at 16, and that is until I moved to San Diego eight years ago. For some reason, I haven't had that. Um, just this year, God has started answering my prayer for older women um, through the ladies in my um, life group. Um, I think I don't see them all yet, but it's Katie, Jackie, Maria, and, and of course, Candace. Um, God has used them to be such a blessing to me. They just, they pray for me, they encourage me, they speak godly counsel to me, and most of all is just living the gospel, just living the life and being an example. And it has been such a blessing to me, and especially Candice over here. <laughs> She'll argue me about it, but whatever. <laughs> um, but um, I... Since I met Candace, I have been stalking her, um, well, spiritually stalking her. Um, I, I was just praying for God to let me get, for her to be part of my life, because I know what a blessing she would be to me. And she has just, even with just having a lunch, out having lunch, she would just say something that God will use later on. In, I mean, the words that she say would stick in my mind. And, it's just been such a blessing in sharing her experiences, her wisdom, and just even her struggles. She doesn't shy away from sharing the things that she's been struggling with and how um, God has been helping her. So just all of that, the women in my group has just been helping me to build my confidence in Christ and, and to see how faithful he has been and will be in my own life. So um, I just wanted to to plead with the older women in, in, in our church to please um, don't waste all the experiences that God has brought you through and all the lessons that he has taught you because we need it. Um, I think our generation hasn't really sought out this, that training. I think part of it is that we're afraid that you might boss us around or, or tell us what to do. But um, it's God's word. He knows that we can benefit from it. So I just want to encourage the younger women to be open to, to that training because I think it's a, it's, we, sh we should see it as a blessing, as, as God looking out for us because he knows that it's going to benefit us. And also, as we get blessed, I just, my prayer is that we would reach out to the younger those that are younger than us. And I think of the children and the teenagers in our church. And I often pray for them because I know how hard it was to be at that age. And so I just wanted to encourage us to live out that truth in the gospel because as we obey God, he's going to bless us. And, and it's also going to be a weakness to a world where 
most of the time one generation is looking down. We look down on each other and judge each other. Instead, God wants us to do things differently because he wants us to live as a family, and that will bring glory to him. Thank you. God is so good. Good morning. I have to be honest and say that when I opened Stephen's email asking me to stand before the church and share as an older woman uh, how I had helped Anne grow and how it blessed me, I distinctly heard my voice say no. There was no doubt in my mind, but I had to get on the phone to tell him that, that he had made a grave error. Unfortunately, we didn't get off the phone before he shared with me how Anne responded to the same email and the same request. He said that Anne said, I'm a little afraid of standing in front of people, and I don't really want to do that, but if it will bring glory to God, I will do it. <laughs> What's with that? The younger pup and the older pup. Oh, my goodness. So I had to know why. And this was a real learning experience for me. So I've been blessed just in being requested to make this um, presentation, if you will, to share my heart. I realized that I'd forgotten a very important ingredient that God gave us. At the same time, I realized I discovered that Anne and I became Christians about the same time that many years ago, and that um, she and I both had received God's forgiveness. We both received the Holy Spirit, and yet some 20-something years later, our responses were so different. Why was that? And that was because I had forgotten that very essential ingredient that God gave us, his Holy Spirit, because his spirit truly is God's power in us that enables us to say yes to him. And I had focused it on me. And I also had forgotten that he changes the desires of our hearts. He's the one that makes us new and enables us once again to say yes. The fact is that unless we say yes to that, Unless we choose those things, it's not going to happen. And relationships grow stronger when you do, and they grow comfortable when they don't. I had a, a relationship and still have a relationship with God, but it's comfortable. Whereas Anne's, I've discovered, is vibrant. It's strong. And so I... Uh, I'm so grateful to God that he focused seven years ago on, on my life group, and he enabled um, or brought both Anne and Helen, two pups, into our group, which he felt, I'm sure, that we needed. Out of that, Helen's energy and enthusiasm was so scary, I guess, but, but we saw also, or I saw also, a uh, an attractiveness in Anne's relationship that she had that we really would have missed out on had I been in charge of our life group membership. We possibly could have missed out on that, so shame on me, but thanks be to God. I, I want to urge anyone in a life group or any life group that is protective of their membership 
that feels that they need to protect the dynamics that is happening in their group from uh, outsiders, if you will, newcomers, don't resist that temptation. Resist the temptation to protect your group because of that. Because when you invite people, when you say yes to God in that way, oh my goodness, will you truly be blessed. So I'd like to change Stephen's request a little bit and say how I've been blessed by helping Anne bless me and to help me grow. I see a faith that is attractive because it's genuine and it's natural. I see a young woman who has actually derived comfort from saying yes to God. And I've seen her desires, the desires of her heart and the choices in her own life because she said yes to God. And I've seen that he will be faithful because she is strong and she is confident, not in herself, but I've seen that it's because she has to have experienced personally how God took every one of her yeses and turned it into a blessing to bring himself the glory. So I thank Stephen for the challenge. I thank Anne for the blessing. And I certainly thank God for, for enabling us to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And I want to thank, well, no, I'd like to end by saying what both of us wanted, praise and glory to God and him alone. Thank you. This is the power of community. Um, this is what it looks like in flesh and blood. Um, this kind of community can simplify our lives, uh, can simplify our spiritual lives, because together we can remind each other of what's most important. Right? I mean, that's what you heard, reminding each other what's most important, the priority of God, right, for his glory, the priority of God's gospel promises. Right? In the midst of all that's complicated, the gospel makes us people who can live in God's grace and experience God's peace. And so in this chapter, in these 10 verses, there are five groups of people addressed. Okay? Five groups, and then there's 23 qualities that are supposed to characterize these five groups. Um, that's a sermon that's about three hours and 22 minutes long. So uh, we're not going to do that today. Um, the details, though, are helpful and inspiring. The more I studied this passage, the richer it became. The more of my life got consumed with thinking about these things and these priorities. Um, be, and, 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 but, I mean, it, and it's amazing, too, because as I'm looking at these qualities, I'm remembering, though, that this is the gospel's work in us. Right? This is what Jesus does in us and then through us. And so these are pictures of who we are when God begins to take control of our lives. This is what he builds into us. And so we're just going to have time to look at some of the highlights this morning of this passage. And so we're going to look at it in three points. Um, we're going to look first at character, second, calling, and then third, we're going to ask the question, what's at stake um, in, this, uh, in terms of living in this kind of community? And so first, let's look at character. Let's look at character. I want you to see um, that even though there's five groups, 
there's actually a pretty significant amount of commonality here. Um, just look at a couple of the details. Look there at verse 3. It says, older women likewise. Circle the word likewise. And then, uh, and then if you look down at verse 6, also. Um, no, no, not verse 6. Where'd it go? Is it verse six? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, there it is. The beginning of the paragraph, halfway through verse 6, says, likewise, urge the younger men. Right? And so circle that word, likewise. The point here is that there are different callings, there's different responsibilities, but it's the same character that we're being called to. Okay? A lot of these qualities and characteristics, they actually show up in the description of, of elders in chapter 1 or in 1 Timothy 3. And so what we see here is that it, we're all called to this uh, we're, all, we're all called to demonstrate this kind of character. This character, it's the character of Jesus. And it's supposed to be lived out in everyone in the church. And so I just want to look at a couple here. Um, the first one I want to look at is the word self-control. Self-control because it shows up three times in this passage. Okay? It shows up in verse 2 for the older men. It shows up in verse 5 um, for the younger women. It shows up in verse 6 uh, for the younger men. And so everyone needs this. Everyone needs this. Um, Self-control, and, and this one, man, this one hit me especially again this week. Um, the the Self-control is the ability to control yourself, right? It's the ability not to be mastered by your emotions, not to be mastered by the circumstances in your life, not to be mastered by other people, but you have self-control. Okay, you have the power and the ability to keep yourself in line where you want to be, right? You are, uh, and, so, and so what this involves is, again, managing your emotions. It also involves being able to preach the gospel to yourself, right? This isn't something that you can do by your own strength, right? This is something that God does in you, right? Through your union with Christ, Jesus was perfectly self-controlled. And when you remind yourself that he died for the sins that you give into when you lose control, when you remind yourself that his Holy Spirit dwells in you, that's where your self-control comes from. Right? When we come to the Lord's table and receive the perfect body of Christ, we receive his self-control. And so can you control yourself? Well, maybe, maybe not. But can God's power in you lead you to a place where you can control yourself? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, and it's so vital for everyone in the church, older and younger. And then, uh, and then I want to look also at verse 2, where it says, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. See that there? Um, it's important. We talked about this actually in chapter 1. Um, that word sound also can be translated healthy. Healthy. Um, and the idea here is, remember that what God promises, if you want one way to sum up the promises of the gospel, is eternal life, right? This kind of, it's, remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, it's not just life that lasts forever, it's not just the quantity of life that's eternal, but it's the quality of life that's eternal. That's what God wants all of us to experience, a quality of life that would last forever, a quality of life that will continue on even after you meet God face to face, right? It's the quality, it's the kind of life that will last even after Jesus comes back and makes everything perfect, okay? That's what God promises. 
And so spiritual health, right, being sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness, having healthy faith, healthy love, and healthy steadfastness, this is part of being spiritually vibrant. It's part of being spiritually alive, okay? It's what Candace saw in Anne, right? That there was a vibrancy about her faith, about her love, and her steadfastness, right? People that have this kind of health, right? Healthy faith, love, and steadfastness, and steadfastness is just patience, right? When people have this, their eternal life begins in the here and now, okay? For them, eternal life starts now, they begin to experience, in part, it's not completely, it's fraught with difficulty, it's never perfect, it's always, you know, you see, you know, there's times where it's a big struggle, but there are real things that you experience that are a foretaste of the perfection that is to come. We sang about it, right? Heaven come in the here and now. Heaven come in the here and now. This is what it means to be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness, right? And we have to remember that steadfastness, it's just patience is so important. You know, this is actually part of the reason why we have hard times. This is part of the reason why things go difficult for us, why, why things are challenging, why, why God has left us here in the struggle. It's because it tests our faith. It tests our love and our steadfastness, Right? It doesn't just test them, it actually makes them grow. Okay, remember that when you pray for something, typically the way God will answer is by putting you in circumstances so that you can actually do what you're praying for. Okay? Because it's by doing what you're praying for that God works out. Well, you work out what God works in to you. And so when things are difficult and we have to have faith, Right? When relationships are challenging, we have to have love. When circumstances get complicated and we have to endure and be steadfast and patient, right? those things build our spiritual health. Those things make, our, make us sound um, in the language that the translation used in this verse. Um, this is the character that is eternal life. Okay? This is why you can consider it joy when trials come. It's because God's going to use that trial to help you experience more of eternal life here and now. Here and now. And so, this is the character that's described in lots of different ways, and if you read the rest, I think there's about 11 character qualities that you can look at, and I would encourage you to do that, um, because they really do fill out this idea of living heaven in the here and now. Um, but, we go on. We go on to calling. We go on to calling because not only are there character things that are, um, that are spoken of in this passage, but there is a, a calling. There's an approach to life that characterizes um, healthy relationships. It characterizes the kind of community that will simplify your spiritual life. And we need to remember that this was written at a time, and this was written so that people who were living then could bring God into their calling. Okay? Got to remember that. Why? Well, because at that time, slavery was a reality of life. Okay? Slavery was just part of life back then. Um, and the workplace for most women was at home. Okay? Just the culture of the day. And so Paul's teaching 
is speaking into the lives of real people in his day, and he is showing them how to bring God into their calling. Okay? How to bring God into their callings in life. And just to make sure it's clear, the Bible's words to slaves is not an endorsement of slavery. 1 Timothy 1 actually opposes kidnapping. And it says that it's sin. If you read the book of Onesimus, it seems pretty clear that what Paul does there is he sort of plants a bomb at the base of the institution of slavery uh, because it's not ready to go off just yet. And so the Bible is opposed to slavery, um, and, and it's just important for us to understand that. But what we see here in the words to slaves is a very clear statement that God knows you exist and he cares. And, and God gives to slaves an incredibly powerful opportunity to display Jesus in their lives. And so, if slaves mattered to God, and God could be brought into their calling, then I think it's not a stretch to say that we can apply the teaching to slaves to our calling in the workplace, okay? To our jobs, we can take those principles and apply them. And so we're going to do that, but I just wanted to say just that cultural sense there as we get started. And so just a few things on calling. Um, first, it's really clear that we're called in this passage to treat, to teach and train younger people. Right? We're called to teach and train. Look at verses 3 and 4. Um, it says uh, they are to teach what is good, and so train the young. Right? Teach what is good and train the young. And so this is part of your calling if you are a Christian. Or this is part of what you're called to. You're called to be a part of a community, and then you are called to pass on what you know. You're called to pass on what you know, what you experience. Here is a truth, okay? If God has been a part of your life, then what you have experienced is worth sharing. If you have seen God work in your life, if God has been a part of your life, then what you have experienced is worth sharing. It's worth sharing because you are a testimony of how God can work in the world. Right? And this is part of the joy of being an older Christian, or sometimes you don't even have to be that old. I still remember when I first became a Christian, um, I began to learn. I just began to ask questions. And I remember this distinct thing happening to me where about three months after I started going to church and started listening and I was learning, I was hearing other people asking questions in groups. And I remember thinking, hey, um, I know the answer to that one because I asked that like a month ago. And so I would go to the person and say, well, I'm no, I don't really know a whole lot here, but I asked that question. This is what I learned. Here's the verse that talks about that. And that's just kind of how it started for me. Um, and then people would say, well, it was really helpful. And so I'd be encouraged and I would do it more and more. And, you know, here I am. Here I am. So, but the point is that God will use your life in the lives of others. Okay? Who you are matters. Who you are matters. And it matters because if God has seen fit to choose you and adopt you as one of his children, then you matter to him. And God wants to put you, he wants you to be a part of a community where you can share what you've experienced. Um, man, there is no one like you. 
There is no one like you. There are things that you can say that if I were to say the same thing would mean more coming from you than from me. Because I'm supposed to say what I say, right? I'm not allowed, I wouldn't have a job if I didn't say the things that I say, right? And so there are people who, I mean, there are people who won't trust what I say, but if you say it, it makes all the difference in the world. To have Anne and Candace come up here and say what they said, man, it's so powerful because it's real. It's what they've lived. It's their experience, right? John 9 is my favorite example of this, right, where a guy gets healed by Jesus. He was born blind. Jesus heals him, and he doesn't know anything, right? All he knows, right? I mean, it's sort of like this whole thing where the, the, the leaders come, and they try to corner him, and they put the bright lights on him, and they're like, come on, we know Jesus is a sinner. Admit it. And the guy's like, I'm standing before people that man, I, I just... I've never seen him before. I've never seen anything before, right? Here I am in this place, and they're putting the, 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 they're putting the screws to me, right? They're like putting my heads in a vice here, right? They're clamping me down, and they're, they're, they're threatening me. And what does he say? He says, here's what I know. I was blind, and now I see. And amen. And so question for you, what was your life like before God got involved? And what's it like now? There is someone in our church who needs to hear you tell that story. Okay? And not just someone. There's a lot of someones. What has God done in your life in the last six months? Just what, what's one thing that God has done? Man, share that. We need, we need this kind of community. We don't just need to take in, but we also need to give out. Right? All of us have a calling to teach and to train the younger. Right? To share what we have experienced with God. That's a big part of our calling. Because when that happens, again, it reminds us of what's important. Right? It simplifies our spiritual lives. Because it reminds us that, oh yeah, yeah, God. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> God. You know, the teaching of our elders, the teaching of our church, the gospel promises, right? We need each other to remind us of these things. And so then um, I, I want to pull out too, um, in verse five, with the young women, it says, submissive to their own husbands. And I just want to say submission gets a really bad rap, right? And, and I think understandably so when it's abused, when it's abused by domineering husbands who are selfish and use their authority to serve themselves, uh, this teaching does get abused, and so submission falls on hard times. Let me just reset for you what the Bible means when it talks about submission. Genesis 2 actually gives us this picture of submission by calling the wife a helper. You're like, that doesn't help me. That's not helpful. Like, that still sounds demeaning, and it still sounds lower, and still sounds subjected, and, uh, but it says the wife is to be a help to her husband, just as God is a helper to his people. Okay, over a hundred times in the Bible when the word helper is used, it's talking about God. Psalm 121, it says, I look, I raise my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Right, so God is the helper of his people and submission means that wives need to help their husbands. And so, what does this mean for married women? It means that you need to have the attitude of, hey, how can I help you to your husband? 
Like, how can I make your life better? How can I help you fulfill God's calling in your life? How can I bless you? What can I do to fill your life with joy? That's the attitude that needs to characterize all of our women who are married. Now, when her husband is loving her back like Jesus loves the church and gave himself for her, man, that creates an incredibly beautiful dance where both are revolving their lives around the needs of the other. I mean, there's a real beauty in a poetry in a relationship like that. And so then I want to look then more specifically at our calling in the workplace. Um, In verses 9 and 10, we see the word to slaves. And it says there, it says, Slaves, be submissive to their own masters in everything. And again, submission is that same attitude, right? This is what Paul was saying to the slaves, okay? He was saying you need to have an attitude of, how can I help you? How can I help you? I am choosing to serve you. Right? I am a child of the king of the universe, the one who is in ultimate authority, and I will serve you. What kind of attitude does that look like? What does that attitude look like in your workplace? He goes on to make sure that we understand what he's saying. He says, be well-pleasing and not argumentative. Right? So this is an attitude of blessing, not fighting against the authority at every step of the way. Right? Then it says, goes on to say, not pilfering, verse 10, but showing all good faith. Right? So this is true service. Like not stealing, but wanting to make life better for the master. Wanting the master to be proud. I mean, I think about Joseph as a really good biblical example of this. Right? Sold into slavery by his brothers, and then sold to the captain of the guard and made a slave in his house. He just worked hard. Worked hard, trusted God, and God blessed everything that he did. Rose up, ended up with authority and power. Got falsely accused. You know, the wife of the house tried to seduce him. He said no, she screamed rape, he went to jail. Right? Put his head down, he just kept serving. And God blessed him and brought him to a place where he saved the known world of his time. This is what God does when people are willing to have this kind of attitude. You think about the years that it took for Joseph to go from where he was to where he ended up. Maybe you're in the first six months. Maybe you're in the first two years. Maybe you're in the first five years. Man, this is an attitude. This is an attitude that shows good faith. See that showing all good faith in verse 10? Man, there's another way to translate this. It it could be like showing good faith, you know, kind of like in an honesty sort of way, but it could also be translated showing a faith 
that is good. Okay? Stick with me here. That we can, by our lives, we can demonstrate that the faith that we have is good. That Christianity is good for the world. Right? How many times have you heard people say that Christianity is a blight? That when you look at the history of the church, with the Inquisition, with the way it's oppressed people, the way it's endorsed slavery, the way it's been, I mean, all these things, right? And yet, if we were to have this attitude, if we were to respond to the authorities in our lives in this way, we could actually show by our lives that Christianity is good for the world. That Christianity produces people who at the core of their being believe in love and sacrifice even to those who mistreat or oppress them. That is what the world needs. The world needs an army of people who will submit to authority and will look to love and to serve their oppressors. What kind of impact would that have on the world? What kind of impact did that have on the world? That, 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 that changed the world as we know it. The reason that the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire, flawed as it was, was because people were committed to this kind of calling. They were so committed, and they were committed this way because at the heart of Christianity is a God who came to serve his enemies. That's, that's, how, that's how you could actually walk in this. That's where your strength comes from. Is that when you were an enemy of God, God did this for you. That Jesus, though he was God, didn't exploit his equality with God, but he became a servant. He humbled himself and became a servant, even to the point of death, the death of the cross. And he did that to serve you. He submitted himself to the needs of you. The needs that your sin had, he submitted himself to you. Right? He was well-pleasing to you, not argumentative. He didn't pilfer. He wasn't here for himself. He showed all good faith to the point where he lived for you and he died for you. That is Christianity. That is why you could look at this and not roll your eyes, but you could embrace this and say, this is who I want to be. Man. Our last point is tied in with this. What's at stake? What's at stake here is everything. What's at stake here with whether we are willing to become this community or not? In character and in calling. Are you willing to teach and train others? Are you willing um, to be submissive to authority in your life? What's at stake here is everything. Three times it's repeated in this passage. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says that... They're to do this, the end of the verse, that the word of God may not be reviled. Right? To revile means to hate and to criticize. 
And so what's at stake here is the reputation of God and his word. When God's people live in this kind of community, when they have this kind of response to authority, and God's word is honored and respected, it's not reviled or dismissed as though it's irrelevant because people can see that it's real. They can see the difference that it makes. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, Do these things, sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. What would it be like? What would it be like if all of the churches in San Diego were to live this way, or to be these kinds of communities, so that when people in the news or when people in media want to make fun of the church or criticize the church, they'd have to make stuff up. Francis Schaeffer said that the final defense, the ultimate defense of the Christian faith, was observable love. Observable love. And that's the community that we need to be. And then verse 10. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the ultimate point to bringing God to bear in all of our callings. This is the ultimate reason why we want to live as this community. It's so that we can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Our lives become ornaments on the tree of the gospel. Right? Our lives become decorations, demonstrations. We are trophies of God's truth. Trophies of God's doctrine when we live together like this. Because when we live like this, we have community like this, when men and women can talk about these kinds of relationships, it makes God's teaching look good. It makes God's teaching look good. Because God teaches this, and then it's up to us to demonstrate that, yeah, this works. That, yeah, this is better. Yeah, this is more satisfying, more fulfilling, uh, more hopeful. <clears throat> when we're renewed like this, and we have a community that's renewed like this, we will renew homes, offices, and neighborhoods. And I love how it ends. We adorn the doctrine of God. Not just God, but God our Savior. Right? It's God our Savior. The one who came as a slave to serve. He did that so that he could save us. So he could save you. Friends, this is eternal life. You want to experience God? Live this way. Build these relationships one person at a time. Just ask yourself, who is in your life that is teaching you? Who is in your life that you are teaching? Right, that's where it starts. I mean, our life groups are designed to be incubators of these kinds of relationships. It's where you come and you can practice. <laughs> right? We try to make it easy so that we can share together what God is teaching us. So we can learn together and learn from each other. Right? This is eternal life. This is where God is. God is in the relationships that you have and that you have yet to form. And he's waiting.
He's waiting. Right? We need people to talk to. We need people to focus on these things with. Right? Life becomes simpler when we have a community that we can be real with. Right? Sometimes we have friends and we just never, ever go there. We never talk about spiritual things. Right? You need to press through that because God is waiting. God is waiting to both bless you and then to use you to bless others. Let's pray together. Father, we want this community. We want this um, both for our own sake and also for the sake of others. Lord, we want to believe that you have, that, that our life matters. We want to believe that you can use both the good things and the bad things in our lives to be a blessing to other people. And so we pray, God, we pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us to make some kind of a commitment um, so that we can walk into this description, into this community. Help us to push forward into this character, into this calling, so that we can encourage others, so we can be the kind of family that can transform each other and then can transform our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.